Welcome to Sunday Morning at Faith Assembly, featuring the ministry of Senior Pastor Phil Goss. We're glad you joined us. How are we doing today? Good. Hey, I want to talk to you about this big idea. It's in your notes. It's going to be on the screen. It's this. Living your best life is living a God-centered life. Turn to your neighbor. Turn to someone close to you and say, live your best life. Come on, say it like we mean it. It's first service. Live your best life. There we go. In 1669, a lady was born who was arguably the most influential lady that has ever lived. Her name was Susanna Wesley. She was the mother of John and Charles Wesley, the brothers that are known for spreading revivals that impacted the world, that evangelized and reached the lost all through the country of England that would eventually spread through the entire world. She was one of 25 children. You heard me right, 25 She's been given the name the mother of the Methodist movement. Scholars believe that she had a theological mind like no other minister during her life period. But her life was far from perfect, and it wasn't ideal at all. In fact, growing up when she had a theological dispute with her parents, they cut her out of the inheritance. She married a man that would at times leave her for years on end to pursue different endeavors while she would carry the burden of the home. She lost children to different circumstances in childbirth or within one years of them being on the earth. She saw the death of her children. She saw her house burn down not once but twice. She lived in a world of poverty, but she lived her best life because she lived a God-centered life, that she impacted generations to come, and still today we can see the ramifications of her life. She was so committed to raising her children, John and Charles Wesley, to be disciplined in the ways of the Lord, that she would rigorously train them Monday through Saturday in very strict ways of memorizing Scripture. When she couldn't find the right theological works for her children, she would write her own. She wrote commentaries on the Apostles' Creed. She was a mind like no other. She lived a God-centered life life. Susanna Wesley is noted as when things were hard, after she saw her, hearse, her house burn down for the first time, John, John Wesley, he writes in his journals that she would drop to her knees when life was hard, throw the apron over her head, and she would pray and she would cry out to God because that was the only thing that kept her going. There's this moment when she was facing hardships where she said this, help me, O Lord, to make true use of all my disappointments and calamities in this life in such a way that may unite my heart more closely with thee. See, her impact continues this day. In fact, you're probably familiar with the classic Christmas song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Her son Charles wrote that. Her legacy lives on. 
She lived a God-centered life, and for that, she lived her best life. So my question to you this morning, if you're watching online, if you're here in this place, what do you center your life around? Do you center your life around your family, your spouse, those special relationships, those ambitions, that career ladder? What do you center your life around? In each of the Synoptic Gospels, we see Jesus has this confrontation with this Jewish expert of the law. Now, he is approached by this expert, and this expert's trying to get Jesus to contradict himself. Jesus, if you're this man that is rising in popularity because you're teaching a new way, a new truth, if you are this Messiah that people are claiming you to be, then Jesus, I want to know, this expert is saying, I want to know what is the most important law. And Jesus responds, and this is the conversation, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 and 28. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life. And in other words, what should I do to live in the heavenly realm? Jesus replied, and I love how Jesus replies, because he answers a question with a question. He actually makes his audience think. And he goes, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man, this exory says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. And Jesus isn't talking about a physical existence. He's talking about a heavenly existence. A realm like no other where the streets are paved with gold, where people are dancing, where life is exhilarating. You will, you will have that if you focus it about keeping God in the center of your life. See, the hang-up is this. We want a rewarding life, but we understand there's times and seasons when we misunderstand that a rewarding life comes from a God-centered life. According to American Pew Research, almost 70% of Americans, when they were asked what gives them the greatest meaning in their life, they said their family. The next is 23% says their career. The following is 20 20% with what's in their bank account, their money. God isn't at the top of an American's list. And that is grievous when Jesus is saying that, hey, life comes when you put God in the middle of it. You can live your life to the fullest when God is in the center of it. So for the rest of our time, we're going to look at this man who Jesus referenced in his confrontation with this expert of the law. We're going to look at Moses. Now, Moses lived almost 1,500 years before Jesus. When Jesus references Moses, this is important because what Jesus is highlighting is from the beginning of time when law was tangible, when God gave Moses the 613 laws that dealt with everything from having to worship God to deal with sins to theft to people worshiping false gods. From the very beginning, from the beginning to death, this is why it's important. The commandment of God is to love 
him like no other. So we pick up Moses' story. We're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 6, 1 through 9. This is the greatest commandment at the very beginning, 1,500 years, what Jesus references back to. When God gave Moses's, Moses and the people, the Israelite nation, when he gave them the rules and the laws and the ways to worship him. Now we have to pick up the context of it. With the nation of Israel, they're poised. Now Deuteronomy is three messages that Moses speaks to this new generation. Now they just get done walking this desert land. They're wandering the wilderness. When they're walking the wilderness, this generation that was there, that was with them in Egypt has passed by. And a new generation is rising up. Now this new generation, they heard the stories of the past, but they're a nomadic tribe. They didn't know exactly where home was. They were kind of lost. They were confused. They heard and they saw some of the glimpses of the mighty and the, the might of God, but they weren't really sure what is to come. And so Moses, picture this, this man of wisdom, of stature, of maturity. He calls them together as this nation of thousands and thousands of people have been wandering this wilderness. And right across this river, Moses is setting this scene. And he says, you're going to go over there. And you're going to conquer. There's seven nations that currently live in that land that is your inheritance. Yes, you've heard there's supernatural giants, there's men, there's warriors, there's people that can bring some very serious harm to you. But if you're going to succeed in your land of inheritance, keep God first. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, 1 through 3. Now this is the commandment, this is Moses teaching these people, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land in which you are going over to possess it. It's already promised. And I, and I title this message, Milk and Honey, because what's happening is this. God's already promised them a, a, a land that is going to meet not every need, but give them more than they can even imagine. That land is across that river. Moses is sitting there. That land is there for your taking. If you want to flourish and succeed in that land, if you read earlier on or later on in Deuteronomy, Moses goes, hey, there, you're going to have houses. You're going to have vineyards. You're going to have farms. You're going to have cities that are already established for you. I'm going to give you more than you can even imagine. Moses saying, that to him, that you're going to go over and possess it. Verse 2, that you may fear, and in other words, revere the Lord, your great Lord, with honor always. The Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all the statutes and commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Here, Moses, the first time he says here, he says here, not only physically, but spiritually. Here, therefore, O Israel, be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may live, that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk, with all your needs, and honey, your desires. See, Moses stresses this to the people, that your reward is going to be found when you keep it about 
God. So Moses is teeing it up. He's establishing this framework. He's saying, now here is where it starts. So today, for the remainder of our time, we're going to be looking at the four steps to living our best life. What Moses taught back then that Jesus confirms and affirms later on in Luke chapter 10. And the first one is this. We need to value our relationships before rules. Now, don't misunderstand me. Rules are important. Children have rules. We have laws. They are important. But a law can be stressed, a rule can be stressed when people understand the value of the relationship first. When they can see it, when they can tangibilize it, when they can understand just the importance of the rule that comes through a relationship. If Moses just stood up and talked to this nation as they're getting ready to go to war and take the land that they're promised, if he just says, hey, go over there, conquer, make sure you follow the 613 rules that are there for you, they're gonna be like, all right, well, we don't really understand the significance of all those rules. It's relationship first, Moses highlights. We hear this word second time here called the shamal. It's a call to attention. Moses is demanding them, pay attention. Understand what you're about to embark on. I think a lot of times when it it comes to the way we live our life, sometimes as followers of Jesus, we develop this almost passive attitude, take it or leave it kind of mentality. It it can be very real for us at times where, hey, we hope you meet Jesus. Uh, We don't want to be too pressing. We we don't want to impose too much of our will in your thinking. Well, Moses is saying right here, he's saying, this is a new generation. You need to understand the greatness of God here. It's a call to attention. It's a call to pay attention, to listen to the words of this mature man who saw the deliverance out of slavery and who is going to know what is going to come across when they conquer the nations. And he says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, the Lord is unique, the Lord is special. See, cultures back then, the nations that they were about to conquer, they were polytheistic nations. And in other words, they had more than one God. They worshiped in a way that was very unique. Israel is coming with a new vantage point, a new perspective. One God, a unique, a special God. Moses is highlighting that. Hey, you need to just forget everything else and focus on that one God. It's a relationship with the one God that's going to see you through. Later on during our second service, uh, I mean, I'll say it again. If you want to be baptized after first service, we have it geared up for second service. But if you want to be baptized after first service, we'll make it happen. But baptism, when Jesus teaches this, this in the New Testament, It's important for us to grasp this. It wasn't a, hey, get baptized whenever you feel like it. It was, hey, you start a relationship with Jesus and then you go get baptized. Whenever we put baptism in this realm of, hey, do it when you feel like it, what we're teaching subtly is optional obedience. Moses is highlighting it's all about obedience. Meet Jesus, start a relationship with him, then go and be baptized. 
So that's why we stress it. It's a conviction of ours. It's a conviction of mine. Meet Jesus, start a relationship. Moses is highlighting, you hear, listen, relationship before rules. Deuteronomy 6, 5 continues. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. This Hebrew word is lavav. And then with all your soul, nefesh, and with all your might. See, typically, whenever we read these words in our English, we separate heart, soul, might. In the Hebrew context, they're very much so overlapping. They're overlapping in the stance of, hey, you know what? Internally, from our inner disposition, from our mind to our intellect, to our knowledge, to our emotion, love God. That relationship births inward. I think a lot of times when we struggle in relationships, maybe it's with God, maybe it's with others, we need to look at a relationship versus expectations, and we'll talk about that here in a few minutes. But see, when we focus on our relationship with God, he gives us his Holy Spirit. Today is what we deem as, in our faith, Pentecost Sunday, where the Holy Spirit shows up in Acts chapter 2, and, and he comes and he reveals, God gives them, the, Jesus gives them the Spirit, this helper, this comforter for the apostles to carry the mission forward. So the Old Testament, it points to Jesus. The Gospels, they teach that Jesus is here. Acts proclaims Jesus, the epistles affirm Jesus, and then Revelation says he's coming back. And in the meantime, before Jesus comes back, he's given us the Holy Spirit to help us, help us in our relationships. And when the Holy Spirit is live and present in your life, you can't help but develop fruits of the Spirit found in Galatians 5, and 23. You'll see love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. When you're living in a relationship with God, all your other relationships are impacted. It's hard not to want to be friends with someone who shows love and kindness and goodness and gentleness and joy and peace. I would encourage you, no matter where you're at, if you're struggling with thoughts of, I'm lonely, man, God's not answering my prayer, Lean in here, a call to Shamal. Pay attention, close to attention. Focus first and foremost on a relationship with God and the Holy Spirit will move in a way in your life to meet your needs. Number two for us is this, accept truth in our hearts before we expect it in their hearts. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, Moses says. His encouragement, the greatest commandment that is given to Moses right here to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. He teaches the people, this Israelite nation, let it be ingrained on your heart before you expect it on somebody else's heart. Many times our hangups are, we have false expectations or unmet expectations that we place on other people. They don't maybe give us the respect that we feel like they should, the love that we feel like they should, the, the listening ear like we feel like they should. See, Moses isn't concerned about that. Moses isn't pointing that, hey, you know, be concerned about those over there. He said, first, let it be entrenched, grafted upon your heart. That's the concern. That's 
the push. I love what Psalms 25, 25 says. It says this, lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation for I wait all day long. Notice it doesn't say lead them into your truth. Teach them. See, Moses is understanding that if you're gonna go conquer the, the, the promised land, like your inheritance, if you're gonna excel, if you're gonna do something so amazing, then you gotta keep God in the center. And how you do that is by first making it so imprinted on your heart that despite what you face, God is with you. God is in the center of that life. So maybe you're new in here, maybe watching online, wherever the case might be. We can't stress this enough that if there are things outside these walls or back in your homes, whatever the case might be, start a relationship with Jesus and you'll see how things switch when you accept it in your heart. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in flesh, but made alive in spirit. And then number three, when it comes to living our best life, teach the next generation daily. Deuteronomy 6, 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall, you shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Teach the next generation daily. I love how the Living Bible puts it. It says, you must teach them to your children and talk about them when you are at home or out for a walk at bedtime in the first thing in the morning. The other day, my son, Bodhi, is learning how to ride his bike. He was riding his bike, and he crashed hard. Uh, mom and me were sitting on the driveway, we're watching him ride his bike, and whenever that is happening, our instant reflex as parents is to get up and make sure our son's all right. Well, my father's instilled something, and I'm passing it along to my children. Um, if you can't get up, then we know something is really wrong. So I encourage my boys, trying to raise men in America, I'm trying to say, hey, let's go, let's rise up, that whenever you get hurt, you get back up. Dad and mom aren't always gonna be there to help you back up, to put that bike back up. But if you need to get up, get up on your own. Try, and if you can't, we'll be there to help. So this one time he's, he's driving, he has some neighbor girls down the street, so it's already begun. He's like showing off in his new uh, Darth Vader bike. It has the stormtrooper right on front. And I mean, it's like this whole cool thing. You can just see it. He's not paying attention. He looks, he's like, just hits the curb, falls over. I hear the tears, I hear the scrape, or I see the scrapes. And I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna have to get up on this one. That was a hard. He gets up, pedals home, He's crying, kind of embarrassed with tears. I could tell we go in for the night. Later that night, uh, we put him to bed. And uh, he, he comes, he's like talking to me. And I was like, hey man, you all right? I'm checking in on him. Uh, you know, being a concerned, compassionate father. Uh, best of my ability. And he goes, hey dad, guess what? I got up. You know, for me as a parent, teaching them to get up when life gets hard, that was satisfaction to the soul. Teach the next generation daily. 
Now I get it, some of us in this room, I understand, I haven't walked in shoes, but when Moses, he's teaching this, this was a nomadic tribe where you've heard the saying, it's a village that takes, it takes a village to raise a child. There's some of us in this room that we, we don't have biological children. There's maybe for whatever reason, maybe you're not married, maybe you're fractured relationships, whatever the case might be. I want to encourage you wherever you're at, you can still impact the next generation. We have an awesome kids program from preschool to elementary to youth. You can get involved and save and change and help a life out. Teach the next generation daily. That's the encouragement Moses gives. I uh, worked in our city, Las Vegas, uh, for a while as an associate and student ministries pastor. This lady approaches me my first year on the job, and I'm trying to get the land, uh, understand the land. I'm from Missouri, and then I moved to Las Vegas, okay? So it's weird. It's like I grew up passing cows to then being thrusted into a mix of inner city Las Vegas. Whole different culture shock. Lady comes up to me, uh, and she's uh, seasoned in age. I will put it that way. She comes up to me and goes, Pastor Blake, um, I'm involved in getting, I, I'm, I feel like God's leading me to get involved with student ministry. I'm scratching my head. I'm like, her name's Nikki. I'm like, Miss Nikki, we're in Las Vegas. It's inner city. I, maybe God's calling you to serve elsewhere. You know, I, I tell her that. Little did I know, God started doing things for that ministry, and I'm needing help. I'm calling everybody I know, the ideal, that look, that fit, the part. Everybody's saying no, except there's this lady that's been in the back of my mind. I call Miss Nikki. I'm like, hey, Miss Nikki, I need someone to help me manage our check-in system when students come in to register. She goes, I can do that. I'll be there later. Okay, so I'm like, awesome. This is, might be a little different, but we'll see how this plays out. For five and a half years, this lady showed up every time we had service. She didn't look the part. She didn't maybe speak the part, but she served the part. She taught the next generation. She was the legend in inner city Las Vegas. She still has more relationships there than I do because she continued to hone in on what Moses is pushing and teaching. Teach the next generation daily. When you go, Israel, into that promised land, that land of inheritance, you make sure you teach that God should be in the center through and through and through it all. And you will have a land full of all your needs, milk, and all your sweetness, honey. Proverbs 7, 3 says this, bind them upon thy fingers, write them upon the tablet of thy heart. Psalms 102, 18, this will be written for the generation to come, that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. Right now, Faith Assembly, we are a church that is poised to raise up the next generation in a time and in a culture where people need God in the center of their life. Where when we look at that percentages, the number one thing that brings sense of meaning to people is God and what he's doing in their life. That's what it's about. And then number four, Moses continues, when it comes to the greatest commandment, he says, Repeat and practice God's commands. Repeat and practice God's commands. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between 
your eyes. I think we have it, and you can check it out. This is a picture of a man from the Western Wall praying, a, a Jewish man. When we say bind them, it's these, it's these straps that men would and ladies would put on their hands to represent God's great power and influence in their life. And then you would see the front list, this little box that held four scriptures. And this is what men and ladies would do to continue the covenantal commitment to keep the Torah and to understand, to thank God daily for his many blessings. Repeat and practice. This was a ritualistic practice. Now I'm not saying you have to wear some frontlets and do that. We don't do that with our beliefs. But what Moses is teaching, what Jesus affirms is this, bind it, hold in possession, keep it in your knowledge, the first and foremost, that when you keep God in the center, you're going to live your best life in your land of inheritance. Verse 9, and then you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. It's unique that Moses says doorpost here. And in other words, we can translate it as this, the most inner sanctum in any of our lives is our home. It's where we lay our head down at night. It's where we raise our families. It's where we have tough conversations. It's where we grieve when no one is watching. And Moses saying, paint that in your home. The pictures repeat and practice. I want us to understand something. There's no such thing that practice makes perfect, especially on our faith journey. What practice does, it makes progress. 1 John 2.29 is this, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. We're going to wrap up right now and your relationship with God, I want to encourage you. What Jesus says in Luke chapter 10, he points all the way back to 1,500 years before his time. And he highlights the law of Moses. See, when he does this, he's confirming and affirming that the law of Moses is when the, the law was tangibilized and was given to us. You might be in this place right now and you might have gone through a life, a life or be facing some of the tragedies that Susanna Wesley faced. Where you question some things, where maybe you've gone through hard circumstances and situations. But when you look at Susanna's life, through whatever she faced, she kept God in the center. And 400 some years later, we're still talking about her. I can't imagine in her life where she would have thought, hey, you know what, I hope to be remembered. She didn't have that posture. The posture that she held was, hey, you know what? I'm gonna raise and teach the next generation when they go into the land, when they go into the foreign field, when they go in the place they don't know, I'm gonna teach them to keep God in the center of their life. You right now might be going through some challenging circumstances. I wanna encourage you this morning, keep God in the center of your life and things will fall into place. No matter what you face, no matter what you go through, I can guarantee two things, you came into this world with nothing. You can leave, you will, you could leave this world with nothing or you can leave it with a generational impact for the days to come. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says this, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be 
saved. And that's our starting point. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And Jesus points it back. It's always about having a relationship with God. If you confess with your mouth, the apostle says, Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved. That's where it starts. So I want to close in prayer and then we're going to lead, then we're going to continue in a song of worship. I'll just give you a moment to reflect on what's going on in your life. Maybe some assessment, maybe you need to evaluate what's centering, what's in the center of your life. Through that song, through that worship, I just want to encourage you, Lord, maybe I need to start a relationship with you. Do that in your chairs. Profess Jesus as Lord. Believe that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. So I'm gonna ask you to stand with me with every head bowed and eyes closed. We're gonna pray and then we're gonna enter into a time of worship and Pastor Steve Goss, he's gonna conclude our service for us. But I feel my heart, some of us in here, like God is saying, come back to me, make me the center. And I'll encourage you, let's start that today. Lord, we give you this time right now. We praise you, we seek you, we call on your name. Lord, through it all, no matter what we face, through the land of the unknown, like we learned about today, if we keep you in focus, not only will we have our needs, but we'll have more than we can even imagine. Our best life is a God-centered life. For that, we celebrate. For that, we rejoice. For that, we, we honor and we see changed lives. And right now, for those watching online or here in this place, may we just declare your word. May we just declare your power. And may we just keep you in the center of our life. In your great and holy name, we all say, amen. Thank you for joining us for today's service. If you would like to talk with someone about what you've heard, please visit our website at faith.ag or call us at 239-543-2700. If you're in the Fort Myers area and don't already have a church home, you're invited to join us for Sunday morning at 815 and 1045 a.m. Faith Assembly is located at 7101 Bayshore Road. Join us again next week for Sunday morning. Faith Assembly Sunday Morning is a production of Faith Assembly Media Tech, North Fort Myers, Florida.